Coming up, we take a look inside the mailbag for all the fans' big pressing questions about the Brooklyn Nets as we work our way through September, plus a little guessing game we call what happens at the FIBA tournament. Ben Simmons and so much more coming up next. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, sir. It is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets. Every single day, he's Doug Norrie. I'm Adam Armbrecht, and we are free on all those great platforms. And remind you that if you have not gone over to joinsubtext.com slash LockedOnNets, you're just flat out missing out. This is a mailbag episode for us. A frequent flyer through the years has been our man, Hassan. I need him to get over there and join the great group of guys that we have talking about FIBA outlook, what to expect from these games, some of the deep dive discussions around the Brooklyn Nets and their bench. You can only get that kind of conversation and access to us. This is like being in your favorite group chat with your buddies, talking hoops, and you get access to me and Doug. That being the case, though, Doug, it is a Mailbag Friday edition. We are going to look at FIBA at the back end of this one and have a little bit of fun with that, but got some great questions when it came to the fan base and things that we probably haven't touched on with nearly as much depth as we can as we about a month little over away from really getting into NBA basketball. Yeah. Great questions coming in here. Excited to talk about some of these. Sometimes, you know, we sometimes do whole episodes just on one topic, breaking it up. Sometimes is fun too. We are recording this prior to the 440. You're crazy if you can get up, but we're going to do it anyway. Time for this FIBA game uh, on Friday. So that's why you're not hearing us. You're going to give hear us give some FIBA guesses and not FIBA breakdown because just the timing. They didn't play nice with the time. I would have adjusted that as you got deeper into the tournament. Like, I know there was a 440 early, but they were like, Again, as a guy who gets up early, this is even even pushing (laughs) it for me. And and I get up, and I get up early, early. Um, But, okay, let's hit it. Let's get some good questions here. Yeah, we did. We had a few different people come in here, including, uh, I mentioned Hassan, Dan Leahy as well, and then also Biff Johnson. He knows what the deal is. Uh, (laughs) Biff, Biff, my man Biff. Aces, though, uh, came out and asked, what is the ceiling? For a player like Ben Simmons, when we talk about expectations coming into this year, we've said about how the hype train is around him. Everyone's talking positively, but where should we set the bar of expectations and, and what is ultimately unreasonable to say Ben Simmons, triple double machine coming off of all these injuries? Where do you stand on him? Well, good news is we know the floor, and that was his last game, uh, which was five fouls, two points, four assists, and four rebounds. So we, <laughs> the, the, when he's on the court, we know what the floor is. Look, the ceiling for him is, you know, the 2019 basically version of him that yeah. was, you know, 2018, 2019. It goes goes into 19, 20, 17, 16, 17 points, right? Like you're looking at somewhere around eight rebounds, somewhere around eight assists a game and playing all NBA defense. Like that is the ceiling. Mm-hmm. We already know what it is. The problem is we're so far removed from it that it becomes, you know, it gets a little blurrier as it gets further away into the distance. I do think this summer has been as positive as you can get. Mark Spears has been, you know, doing a lot of work here in the, for the Simmons camp, <laughs> like in talking it up. I don't think it's wrong. It sounds like it's all systems go. So I think the ceiling is what we've seen before. I find I'm going to project my own um, mental and emotional stability around that to be lower, just to say that's going to be tough just because of what we've seen for the last couple of years. But if you were in the camp of it's all been injury, and he's fully healthy now, 
then that 2018-2019 line, you know, 16-8-8, eight and eight, basically, had a triple-double a little, a little tough. That's, I think, reasonable for this team because he'd be playing a lot of minutes, and, and we've seen him be able to do it. So, I don't know. Did I even get an answer? I, I'm going to say my ceiling for him is lower than that, but I think that you could reasonably say that because it's already happened. Yeah, I think it is tricky. And, and what really this question made me dovetail into, it's like, so let's say, if you're telling me that Ben Simmons is playing a lot of minutes and, okay, maybe 12, 14 points, right? And then all of a sudden, he's giving you seven, eight assists maybe a game. And I don't even really care about where the rebound numbers are. I actually start to think about what is the barometer for where he would need to be that maybe it gets a little enticing for other teams and the trade deadline and where this team is from a record standpoint. Like, can we get to a place where his contract becomes negotiable if the Nets aren't also winning basketball games along with him being healthy and being on the court? Yeah, look, I mean, that's that's the, obviously the the ceiling here, too, is just being able to work the contract into into non-terrible territory. I, well, the other thing I, I, I didn't mention about Simmons, which I probably should have, too, is the other part of his ceiling, you know, besides just these counting stats, which we've been able to see him do in the past, right? So, like, it's easy to sometimes round it out around basic numbers, right? But what we've also seen Simmons in the past is he's like a floor raiser with the guys he plays with because of how he plays. Like he's been a very good distributor in the past. He has excellent court vision when it's when it's all said and got done. He can run the transition really, really well. And he can, if it's going well, he can finish at the rim too in, in transition, right? I think those things and be able to find open shooters, like he you know, has a ton of assists on threes over the years, especially with Philly. I think those things too, like help him in the floor – his raising the floor raises his ceiling sometimes in ways that probably won't show up just in the box score. So I think like what Nets fans, if you're really going pie in the sky here, you're saying that Simmons plays his like the, he plays his way to the, what his contract is. If he does that, then the Nets are a playoff team. Like I think pretty, pretty easily. Right. I just think, it's just so hard for me. I, there's a group of people out there that are just Simmons is healthy. You're all going to see, you know, you're all, you've all been wrong. You all, you, you hated on him forever. I'm saying you like the collective group of other people. There's a group out there that I think has irrational confidence around what he's going to be just based on short-term everything that's going on with him. But you can make the case. Uh, you, the, the case is there. I, I, I totally get it. I'm just not, I just can't go all the way on it because I just think that there's just been too many road bumps and they're not all related to his back, <laughs> right? Like it's not yeah, all back related. And like, but that's, I think that's the thing that gets lost in the sauce here, right? It looks like, well, because of the injuries, because of the injuries, the reality is, is there's also performance-based concerns that you had around him and whether or not he can fit into the mold, whether or not he can be the things you need him to be offensively beyond maybe narrowing himself into wanting to be a pure point guard and facilitate the offense. Those are great attributes. But guess what? If he keeps struggling at the free throw line and if he can't, you know, quite figure out how to effectively attack downhill at the basket, it's still going to be the same result. And maybe that's the way I would put a pin on this as far as ceiling goes. There's a world where the stats do look better this year for him, but but the ceiling of being productive and impactful could still be a little bit muddied. Right. Because I I think if Ben Simmons is on the floor with his size and this roster and rotation, He'll end up getting rebounds like he's going to get assists. He's going to get some amount of points. And my biggest factor is whether or not he can be a a player that helps win basketball games and that can help others like Mikhail Bridges, like Cameron Johnson, right? Like Nicholas Claxton, like Cam Thomas, as you highlighted this offseason about how it could help unlock him. 
that's the ceiling that I want to set for him. It's just not one that I can safely do with any level of confidence. So we'll see how he unfolds. You're good. The other thing I was just going to say, and I hate pouring cold water on this, I'm going to, I'm giving the reasons why it's hard for me to just go, and then we'll get into some of these next questions. But the reason it's hard for me to go all the way there, and this dates back to pre any issues with Sim, any of like the, the major things that came up, is that there's always been parts of Simmons' game which he seems either unwilling or unable to work on. And I always get worried about stuff like that when there's been no growth in very obvious needs places where it needs to improve i.e the jump shot form things like this this dates back to well before any injuries and stuff so i guess like those are the little things that still weigh on in my mind a little bit and it just doesn't have to do it's not just me i know i know i made the joke at the beginning where i'm like oh two points for you like because that's what was last game it really actually doesn't have anything to do with that like i'll throw that all to injury right 100 that's all injury right and i think that's been documented at this point and clear I still just think there's enough to draw on from all this other stuff that just makes me a little worried at age 27 about whether you can teach any new tricks here. And if there's been a decline in health and a decline in athleticism and stuff like that, then it's just going to be really tough. So anyway, my ceiling is well below, I think, personally, that 18-19 run, but um, I still think it's going to be significantly better than it was last year by like a lot. So I think that, and I think that's the truth somewhere in between for me. Hopefully that's more than enough to be a contributor and a factor for the Brooklyn Nets coming up here in a second. Let's talk about the, all of the additions that we've highlighted throughout this off season from Dennis Smith jr. To the most recent Harry Giles, which is our favorite. And I guarantee you almost to a man that Doug and I will not agree on this. We dive in on that coming up next. All right, before we get to that, tell you about our friends over at FanDuel, getting ready for the NFL season. FanDuel's got some incredible offers. They're America's number one sports book. These offers are almost like too good to be true. It's crazy. These are You're going to have to just get over to FanDuel to take care of this for yourself. Right now, over at FanDuel, new customers can bet $5. You can get $200 back in bonus bets. Those bonus bets can be used really for anything on the site. It just comes back in ways that you can bet. That money is guaranteed when you bet that $5. That would be good enough on its own. Then... All customers who bet those same $5 are going to get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube or YouTube TV. You're having your cake. You're eating it too. You're getting the $200 in bonus bets. You're getting the $100 off from YouTube and YouTube TV. It's the best time to join FanDuel heading into NFL Sunday. The app is easy to use. You can bet on everything from spread to player props and more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on like our podcast network and kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner the nfl all right you kick us off here with your favorite edition from a big spectrum here i know that i'm going to go off board but i'm very curious if you just go with the logical whether it is going to be a guy like uh, dennis smith jr or one of the deeper dives that are more of a prospect of being an impact player beyond this season even okay i'll go different because i know i know for a fact we're not going to agree on this or we might not disagree but i think we're going to take two different paths to reach a similar conclusion that my is not actually a player edition it's just the way they use their draft picks this year i am that's my those those are my favorite moves these are guys that are win not win now guys these are win later guys in terms of Derek whitehead and noah Clowney. and i think the you know showing that they could have the steady hand to walk into that draft with a bunch of guys in that range who were sort of like low ceiling, high floor players that they could have probably taken that could have walked onto the court this year and done something and never been great. Probably they did not do that. And they shot 
real upside with these picks, right? Clowney's super raw, but the, the measurables are all there. And Tariq Whitehead's, a, I mean, really risky because he was already, he was injured even going into the draft. And they decided to, to roll with it and liked what they saw enough, especially like before his time in Duke where he was a consensus top player in the nation. And I think that this draft could have gone totally different the other way <laughs> with them just playing it very safe and they just didn't do that. So I think they had conviction here with these picks. The guys are super young. It's a long game. They're a long game. I, I think we're going to see very little of either of these guys this season, and that is fine. And that's my those are my favorite moves that they made in this offseason, I think. It, it's very interesting, too, because there was uh, – Nets Daily was talking about taking chances this, this offseason and listing these young players as being chances. And I, yeah. I had a good conversation going back and forth there about, well, chances versus risk. I don't think the Nets took any, any chances at all, but mostly because the hierarchy would be swinging big and trading for Damian Lillard, right? Like going all in on a player, maybe even trading off Mikhail Bridges and taking the chance that all the draft capital you're going to get back in return is going to make a difference going forward for this team. But – the age and the injury certainly for Derek is going to be a factor and clowning that long-term prospect. Um, my, my favorite one, I, I, you, I, I don't think you're going to be surprised by this. Jalen Wilson, to me, is one of my favorite additions because when you look at him, even though he's older and the summer league is all we have to go on right now, if we fast forward to the trade deadline or even the end of this season, I am cautiously optimistic that whether it's Royce O'Neal, whether it's Dorian Finney-Smith, I think either way, one or likely two of these players will not be on this roster next year. And I can very easily paint a picture where Jalen Wilson, relative to some of the other additions, these low flyer guys that they've brought in, um, whether it's going to be Watford, whether it's going to be Darius Baisley, he has a different role than them. He has perimeter shooting, right? He has, I think, a, a defensive role that could be defined going forward as well. You don't often take a guy with that age and, and set a high bar of expectations. But I think we might look back and see him as being a great addition. And then the other one that I will say is Watford was the guy that I said at the start of the offseason, the Nets should be going out looking at. I, I think we both chose to look past Dennis Smith Jr. here and look past Lonnie Walker somewhat intentionally because there might be defined floors there. To me, Watford, you, you could be look go back to Portland and say, you guys probably should have kept him around. If in the end you're going to be moving off of Damian Lillard and you want to have young guys, I think that his ceiling is certainly less defined. He has a lot to work on, but I can see a world where he is the guy that comes out of that group and ends up having a role for this team, maybe going into next season. So both my upside guys and best additions are players that may not have the highest impact now, but when we fast forward 12 months from now, we could be talking about these two players having key roles going into the next season. I really actually think that like one of the nice things, and I think both of our answers end up coming into the same, they fit into the same theme. If, even if we said different guys, right. Is that the, the, the Nets off season was basically filled with these kinds of moves. It's, really. It's actually like everybody after probably just the starting lineup, right? Like everyone after the starting, the, the for sure starting lineup or the, you know, for sure top six guys fits into this, upside mold we've been talking about it a ton for the offseason they were all upside plays i went with the i went with the rookies kind of in some way because we haven't really talked too much about them right like they have not been a topic of conversation honestly because between fiba and all the other dudes like they all fill this they all fit here the, the not all of them are going to hit maybe none of them will i think the hope here for marks and, and company and vaughn and, and the developmental staff is that like two of these guys Sure. Right. I think that's reasonable. I think that's like a reasonable number. Right. 
be two between Clowney Whitehead. I'll throw Cam Thomas in here to some degree, maybe not really. Yeah. Baisley, Dennis Smith Jr., Lonnie Watford. I guess even throw Jalen Wilson in here. Is that like among those eight guys that I just mentioned, eight or nine guys that I just mentioned, that like two of them become like real core rotational players that you can see going forward, whether it's whether because you flip them in a trade or because they're on your team. I think thinking that they're all going to hit is unrealistic. Um, but I think the skill sets among all these guys with pedigree, which some of mm-hmm. these do guys do have, means that like we're going to probably be like, oh man, these guys, this guy's really out kicking what we thought he was out kicking the coverage here. But like, I it's almost hard to say who is definitely going to be because I'm just like not sure. But I, but I feel very confident saying that a few of these guys definitely will. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm I, I, hoping for a couple of them. A guy like Clanny, we're not going to be able to know probably, obviously, until next season on him. But out of that entire group, maybe the other dovetail here is, how disappointed would you be, or, or what is your expectation for the number of guys that stick with this roster through training camp and to the regular season? Some are going to be buried on the bench. A guy like Jalen Wilson may start in G League and get his call up. You have 50 games to use him. We don't know where, where Dariq's going to be with his health. But would you be disappointed if with all of these signings, you know, six out of, you know, five out of the seven, five out of the eight end up not even being here at the start of the year? Because I do, we know, I sell myself on the optimism of, hey, with opportunity, one of these guys could really break for you. I think Giles might actually be the most um, intriguing one because of his health. Maybe he doesn't make it out simply based on that, let alone what he could be if he even got a look over the course of this year. Yeah, this is why I don't feel comfortable. Except, like, this is why I actually felt a little more comfortable with the Clowny Whitehead piece because I know because they're draft picks, like the lead, you, the lead, you gotta the go. Leash with is, them, yeah. The leash is super, super long for these guys, right? This is years. Like, they're gonna be these guys will be on the team barring major injuries, three, four years. I mean, that's probably what we're looking at, right? So, Do I you almost agree felt. On Wilson? Could I let, let me ask you that then? Do you agree yeah. on Wilson? It, like, in my idea that yes, he's older. But he at least ma- there is a world where like you could very quickly see him carve out a role, even relative to these other non-draft picks, the other guys that have been brought in because he also was a draft pick that you give him this this front foot forward to to have a role here over the next one or two seasons. Yeah, I think he'll have a chance. I, I do wonder if like he's just going to be skilled enough to really stay. Like I, I wonder if it's going to be like. I really like the pick, by the way. I think he he actually represents sort of this like high floor, low ceiling pick that I mentioned. That I'm glad they did not do at the 21st and 22nd pick or 19, whatever right. they picked, 2021. 20, like, I'm glad they did not go with this archetype of player in that spot because at that spot you have to just draft for like I think you where they were they have to draft like highest upside. You can when you're when you're in like the 50th 50th pick or whatever. At that point, I actually think that rounding out a guy who can probably play some rotational NBA minutes is just fine. I, I do wonder if like we ever see him really pop. He's just old. And I think the measurables aren't like totally there, but I think I, I could see him definitely getting minutes here uh, this season at some point. Um, I don't know. I'm sounding pessimistic. I, I really don't mean to be, I, I'm just trying to be, again, I, I sometimes get overly realistic with these things and maybe the realism sounds like pessimism and that's really not what it is. There's a large sample size in the, in the background of the NBA that suggests these guys are going to struggle to carve out those roles for themselves. Let's keep this thing rolling here. Coming up in a second. And what we think is possible for the Brooklyn Nets when it comes to Sean Marks and Jock Vaughn and also our FIBA guests. 
We, of course, thank you for following us here on Locked On and enjoying a symphony of a furry friend that we're going to go ahead. This is what we do on Friday. Hey, sometimes the, the dog, sometimes the dogs in the background have, you know, the, the dogs try to get in. He's just like, hey, I got a mailbag question. I want to get it in. You're not listening. You're not answering it. And until yeah. you answer it, I'm just going to keep barking. And that's how just going to be how it is. Do I chew until I get my mailbag question in? But if you feel like, just like uh, my little furry friend, that you can't get your questions into the podcast, make sure you go over to joinsubtext.com slash locked on nets because you can get in just like you're having a round table with your buddies, chopping it up about all things Brooklyn Nets. We're giving you insights right now about the FIBA tournament, obviously, and where Team USA stands and their matchups, but then all, all, all season long, excuse me, for the Nets. What are the key matchups in games? What are some of the deep dives conversations? What are some of the silly stuff? You can get in your silly questions over there because we're not necessarily able to afford enough time on the podcast. So get over to joinsubtext.com slash locked on nets and get in on the conversation now. Free 14 day trial. But before we get to our fun FIBA guests, and we'll see if uh, Obi has any uh, indications around that. That's the dog. Um, the other question that I thought was good here from Dan Leahy, uh, also a frequent flyer. I think he's kicked our butts in our uh, Nets Fantasy League a couple of times as well over the years. I thought this was good. Um, how short or long of a leash does Cy give to Marks and is Vaughn in this for the long haul? We, we've talked about this before, and I think we usually keep it as this global perspective, but it, it, is there a world? I, I, I'll answer first. I don't think there's any world where anything happens this season that impacts Sean Marks. Now, I could paint a picture for Jacques Vaughn, but even in that instance, this is the first year that he's come in and reconstructed the coaching staff, and they've brought up guys from the G League. So it feels like this is more of a group effort than it ever has been before. Does that feel any different to you in terms of Marks is untouchable and Vaughn might be pretty darn close unless we're talking epic failure to start this season? I think that his leash, the leash here is incredibly long. I, yeah. You know, I think he's a lot of GMs wouldn't have survived uh, almost no GM would have survived the KD Kyrie Harden thing. I mean, that went as bad as it could ever go. I, like, I don't think, I don't know how it could have gone worse. <laughs> like I, I don't like, I just don't almost no playoff wins, <laughs> almost no success. Right. Like, I mean, no success. You have fired two fired coaches, yep. right? Like just at that point, most GMs just aren't allowed to keep trying things, right? So it's like, hey, you fired two coaches. You brought all the guys you brought in didn't work. They all they all wanted trades. I think actually the only thing that saved, probably the only thing that saved Marks here is that, well, one, he's obviously got, like, it seems like pretty full autonomy. Mm-hmm. But also that those three superstars became so unlikable at the end. I actually think that saved them. I, I think that they, they all, the and maybe not Durant as much, but for sure, Kyrie and Harden were like so disliked by the end and and definitely yeah. weren't winning the court of public, a, a lot of public opinion that I think that actually helped Marks because it was like, hey, what are you going to do with these guys? Like, what are you going to do with these guys? Like, it, like and so no one could have handled them or whatever. But honestly, if you look back at the last three years for Marks, just saying two fire coaches, and Atkinson should never have been fired, but two fire coaches three superstars who asked for trades that is alone enough for anybody to be fired right there. Like, it's just like, Hey, we need it. We need to clean slate this thing, new regime starting over all new, fresh faces. The fact that it didn't happen with that. And now they're kind of known to be like sort of mini rebuilding. 
I think he's going to be here a long time. I don't know why. I don't actually know what would get him fired at this point. If that didn't get him fired, I don't know what he could do. Like, take and a dump funny. in his office. Like, I don't know. Like, I like I just don't, I just don't. I don't know what else to be done. I, like, Breaking news: like, Sean Marks will be the starting center for the Brooklyn Nets in tonight's game. Right? Just suits yeah, up. Like, says, it's you know just what? yeah. Like, I just don't. I, you know what I mean? It, it, it couldn't have gone worse, and he's still there, and it seems very solid. <laughs> And I, you know, I always relate this back to because the question was, well, what is Joe Sy's leash for them? Well, remember, like I think that Joe Sy was one of the biggest proponents of going and getting the superstars in the first place. And now it's a rarity that an owner has both the sense, you know, of of desire to want to win, and also saying, well, I I pushed for it, like I wrote the checks, like I I know what this looks like, and maybe behind closed, like this is what I always wondered about behind closed doors. At the time, I'm sure Sean Mark said, hey, you want to get Kyrie Irving, hometown guy, it's going to guess Kevin Durant, love it. Do we think that it was solely the idea that Sean Mark said we need to go get James Harden? Or was there a push there that the players are saying we don't like the way the roster is constructed? And Joe Sy is saying, let's answer that, that request and get another guy. What does it cost you in sacrifice? All of those things, right? So in that regard, I want to applaud the idea that while things have gone well and often poorly – you don't overreact and start blowing it up from a from the top down. And I think fans usually would say, "Get owners should sell the team." Well, guess what? This guy's got really deep pockets, and he's shown the willingness to spend it. Sometimes you just have to take a little bit of the long view. So I don't think Sean Marks is going anywhere. When it comes to Jacques Vaughn, though, I, I I said there initially, well, they turned over the coaching staff and they brought up guys from the G League. I did immediately give myself pause around. That's right. You brought up the coach from the G League where the Long Island Nets have had success and he has been there for a long time and you are now putting him on the team that within the next two years is going to get younger. It's going to get younger. They already, they've already done it this offseason. More veterans are going to go out the door here from Spencer Dinwiddie, Royce O'Neal, and Dorian Finney-Smith. I think over not maybe this season, but over the next two seasons, there will start to be a building expectation around Jock Vaughn. And I would, I would guess that organizationally they have in their mind that we are promoting from within and there's a world where, where you want to see the next young coach get an opportunity. Jock Vaughn has been around. Like he has had his opportunities um, you know, time and time again. It really comes down to how much success does he have this year relative to organizational expectations, not fan expectations, but what the organization wants to see. Yeah, so I'll play, okay, so I'll play the devil's advocate with that. The other side of that is that I think, and this maybe just goes more what I was saying about the, the the superstar thing, is that I think this organization more than anything is trying to reset an air of stability, which they have not had for like three years. They have not been stable. It has been so uh, the epitome of de, you know destabilization. It's been horrible. It's been horrible. This is yeah, a bad like, plan, guys. We keep destabilizing like, our organization. I mean, the KD injuries you can't you can't help that. But the Kyrie thing was went as bad as you could ever imagine. The Harden yeah. thing went right along with it. You know, they fired at, I've mentioned they fired Atkinson when they probably should have because they were playing into the superstars. The Nash thing stunk and they had to fire him within a year or a year plus. Like, I think if anything, that gives everyone now longer timelines because they're mm-hmm. not going to want to be known as this organization that just fires through dudes because it's going weird. So I think mm-hmm. if anything, that's a good point. Like, right. I, I think if anything, it's going to be like <laughs> they'll get to do even. They might not even have to do a great job to be like, hey, we're sticking with our guys. We're not going through. 
that other era that we just went through where we, no one knew who was coming or going. And, the, you know, DeAndre Jordan gets a contract because that's the only way these other guys could come. Like all these things. There's a million yeah, examples like this. There's literally a million examples yeah. of all these things they should not have done that they did because they were being really reactionary around the superstars. Yeah, I get no, why they did it. No, but I just course. think that I just think in general that will keep these this group now around a little bit longer because they don't want to give the wrong impression. And we know even with Cameron Johnson getting that new contract, Mikhail Bridges, when his, as his contract runs out, like to your speaking to your point, it's okay. And now we're into the young era. So why would we, why would we switch things up from Jock Vaughn and the coaching staff or from the GM? And now we're in this rebuild process and okay, there's not going to be the impetus that there felt like there was when you had the superstars to make big decisions. We can close things out here, Doug, with FIBA speculation. We have no clue at uh, 4.40 a.m. tomorrow, but it could be right now. It could have happened two hours ago, depending on when you consume this podcast. What do you think is the likely outcome for Team USA as they, they've advanced? They've advanced, but they've had their hiccups, and now they have a uh, more physical, maybe we could say, matchup coming, to, coming their way uh, 4.40 a.m. East Coast time. Yeah, I mean, minus 10.5 favorites. Germany's got some real guys, obviously. The Wagner brothers, Dennis Schroeder, um, Daniel Tice. Like, they have dudes. I think USA wins. Um, but I think it's probably – like, I think the USA wins, but Germany covers. Right? That's, that's I was going to say, my... do, you, do you take the point? You take Germany in the points? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. But I, I think USA will win. Um, I mean, Germany just snuck one out last game. Bertans missed a three at the at the buzzer, and or to to that game could have just flipped right. So, and that was a really low scoring affair. I think USA takes this one, but I do think it's closer than the ten and a half. That's my. What, what about you? Yeah, uh, you know, we talked about in the previous game for FIBA for USA uh, Triple J and getting to injury uh, injury uh, foul trouble. But even when that happens, the the USA still has athleticism. They still have outside shooting. They have other ways to open up the game. So it's not like just because Germany has some bigger and more physical players, they're going to be able to just pound in the, on the interior. As we always say, three points is worth more than two. And I wouldn't be surprised. Let's tie it back to Brooklyn. If Cameron Johnson has a little bit of a little bit of a flamethrower's touch coming off the bench to make sure they seal this one away. But I would not think they cover. So there you go. Little FIBA. All right. That's the prediction. That's the weekend. That's the mailbag. That's everything you need here That's in Nets dog. World. All we need from you, two things. You go over and make sure you subscribe over to YouTube. The other thing you do is you go over and join subtext slash locked on Nets. Again, it's like it's just it's text messages all day long about the Nets. Like that's what more could you ask for? It's free a free trial. Just check it out. No, you know, no risk at all. You go over and join subtext.com. You get what we're throwing at you. You're going to get a bunch of stuff that we're not saying on the podcast, a bunch of just deep dive analysis, especially as we get closer to the year. We're rolling through the whole offseason with it, too. So go check it out. Again, it's free trial. No downside. Join subtext.com slash Nets. September tries its best to have us forget summer. Why, that is Bernard Williams. Oh, one of the all-time great poets. We'll be back again tomorrow, or excuse me, next week, talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball. Basketball, basketball, basketball.